On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers couldn't get out of their own way against the Lions, repeatedly falling flat on their faces on their way to a 31-23 loss. In a game featuring missed field goals, penalties galore, and occasional rookie-level play from a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, we've got to figure out what mistakes are correctable and what could be long-term problems. Let's dive in. Blue 58! What happened in this one? A lot of things happened in this one, very little of it good, and there's not a lot of good stuff that we can talk about, but I think we've got five main points here. First, the Packers dug a hole and couldn't get themselves out. Then the Lions took advantage and didn't screw it up. You've got Mason Crosby missing a bunch of kicks, Aaron Rodgers playing like he wants to get Mike McCarthy fired, and then Mike McCarthy coaching like he wants to get Mike McCarthy fired. That's pretty much what happened in this one. Why did each of those things happen? Well, that takes a little bit more doing. So let's explore each of those five points here. And along the way, let's talk about each of these things and whether or not they're things the Packers can correct. Because I think there are some things here that are just things the Packers have to get straightened out. They shouldn't have to be dealing with some of these things in week five, but they are things that can get figured out. So first, the Packers digging themselves this hole. Let's talk about the first half here. Let's talk about the Packers drive drives and the the times that they handled the ball in the first half. The first time the Packers ever touched the ball, quote-unquote, was on Kevin King's alleged muff punt. We'll circle back to that in a second, but it gifted the Lions some points. The From there, you, here are the Packers' actual drives in the first half. They ended with a missed field goal, a fumble, a missed field goal, a missed field goal, a fumble, and then the end of the first half. Six drives, no points for the Packers, a bunch of points for the Lions. Many of those points just flat-out gift-wrapped for the Lions. Now, is this correctable? Yeah, you can make some field goals. You cannot turn over the ball on really basic level plays. Um, These are things that you can get straightened out. This is sort of related to a talking point that I've had just about enough of, but I'm not sure how you address it. Um, Common criticism I'm seeing against Mike McCarthy so far this year is it looks looks like the Packers don't come out ready to play. I struggle with that criticism because I don't know how you quantify being ready to play. I mean, just if Mason Crosby makes those field goals and Kevin King doesn't muff the ball, allegedly, here's what you've got. Say the Packers punt on that first drive. You've got a punt, a made field goal, a fumble, a made field goal, a made field goal, a fumble, and then the end of the half. That's that's nine points, sure, but at least you're finishing the game or finishing drives with points. Who knows what else could go on if a couple other calls don't or go your way and you don't have to kick those field goals. Maybe you you end up with more points. Um, It's not 17, nothing in that case. Um, It's not 24, nothing. You're not getting shut out. You're not having to dig dig yourself out of a, a crazy hole. If just a couple things go different, suddenly you're saying the Packers are starting more solidly than they have so far this year. Are they ready to play? I don't know. But I'm not sure you can just say, ah, they don't look like they're ready to play as a as sort of legitimate criticism because I don't know how you quantify that. I mean, it sure seems like it would take a lot of the wind out of your sails if there's a phantom muffing call against one of your guys and all of a sudden you're on your own two-yard line trying to keep the other team out of the end zone 30 seconds into the game or whatever it was. It was like three minutes, whatever. That's not really the point of the story. Are they ready to play? I don't know. Are they starting games poorly? Yes, absolutely. And the Packers got off to a really poor start here. 
So I think that is correctable, um, but it's something that should have been corrected by now. Two, we do have to give some credits to the Lions here. They made the Packers pay and didn't screw up their most golden opportunities. Um, We'll circle back to the muff punt here in a second. Uh, But just off the Packers' turnovers and missed field goals, uh, they did some pretty good business. Uh, The fumbles alone led to 10 points for the, the Lions, and including that muffed punt, you're up 17 to nothing just on turnover-causing plays. Only one of the missed field goals turned into points for the Lions, a touchdown, but they punted on the three others. But generally speaking, the Lions did a good job of making the Packers pay for their mistakes, referee-induced or otherwise. Along those lines, Matt Stafford, I think, has a reputation of sometimes being like a, a latter-day Jay Cutler Uh, sometimes putting the ball up where he shouldn't, throwing some ill-advised picks. And you do see that from time to time, but not so much anymore against the Packers. Stafford hasn't thrown a pick against the Packers in his last three games. He's thrown two in his last five starts against the Packers. He's he's cutting down on the turnovers, and it's it's been a real good thing for the Lions. Okay, that punt. Let's talk about the punt here for a second. The refs screwed this up. Uh, If, if, and there's a big if here. If, in fact, the Lions player touched the ball first, they did not adjudicate this play correctly. According to the ruling on the field, Kevin King touched the ball first. But I think when you look at that end zone angle, it looks like the ball hits the Lions player right in the middle of his right forearm. He has it extended out and it's on Kevin King's back. The ball hits him, looks pretty squarely just below the elbow. And the ball skitters down the field and the Lions recover. Just looking at the play on the field, it didn't look like anyone on the field thought that that was a a situation where a Packers player had touched the ball first. According to Tremont Williams, after the game, the refs, a ref on the field, an official on the field, told him that a Lions player had touched the ball first. Why is that a big deal? Well, let's dive into the NFL rulebook. NFL Rule 9, Article 2. This is the scrimmage kick portion of the rulebook. Scrimmage kicks are punts or field goals or anything other than a kickoff, essentially. So your free kicks would, would factor into that, too, in the rare instances where those take place. So, first touching beyond the line. A first touch is when a player other than the receiving, someone on the receiving team, touches the ball. That's important, as you'll see here in a second. So let's read from the rule book here. First touching is when a player of the kicking team touches a scrimmage kick in the field of play that is beyond the line of scrimmage before it has been touched by a player of the receiving team beyond the line. If the ball is first touched by a player of the kicking team, it remains in play. First touching is a violation, and the receivers shall have the option of taking possession of the ball at the spot of first touching, provided no live ball penalty is accepted on the play or the spot where the ball is uh, dead. Sorry, there was some weird cropping there, leading to an ending there that didn't quite sound as authoritative as I would have liked, but I'm not going to re-record it. In short, what this means is, if the kicking team touches the ball, The ball is essentially dead at the spot, even though the play hasn't been whistled dead yet. After the kicking team touches the ball, the receiving team can pick up the ball and do whatever they want with it. And whatever happens on the play, they'll have the option of taking the outcome of the play or taking the ball where the ball was first touched. In this case, the ball should have been live 
after the Detroit Lions player touched it. The Packers should have had the option to take the ball wherever they first touched it, but they did not get that opportunity. Just a crazy play that it seems like should have been overturned. It seemed like the video evidence was pretty conclusive from that one angle. But here we are again, the Packers just coming out on the, the bad end of a really kind of specific rule. This was not in, in one play, was not the reason they lost the game, but it sure didn't help them at all. Mason Crosby. Oh yeah, before we move on, is this something that's correctable? No, you can't really correct another team's behavior or, or, or the way they play. Uh, the Lions did what they were supposed to do. So nothing the Packers can fix there other than not putting the Lions in position to take advantage of their mistakes. Mason Crosby. Okay, what do we do on this one? Missing five kicks in a game, four field goals and a PAT, is suboptimal. Uh, it's, it's very bad. Uh, about any way you look at this, Mason Crosby had a terrible day at the office today. It's kind of like he tried to fit all of that miserable 2012 season into one single game. On the year now, Mason Crosby had, had been doing pretty solid from a percentage standpoint. On the year, though, not so great now. 11 of 16 field goals. 69%, very solid there. Um, 8 of 10 on PATs, 80%, not so great. And he's also missed a potential game-winning field goal. That field goal in overtime that would have, or the end, excuse me, the end of regulation against the Vikings that would have won things for the Packers. 52 yards, sure, but still, he should have had that one. Um, could be worse, could have had the opportunity to kick a 60-yard field goal against the uh, Redskins, and uh, you had the bad snap or whatever happened there, and he didn't get the opportunity to kick that one. But he almost sure, assuredly would have missed that. So it could be 11 of 17 right now, even worse. So what do the Packers do? Let's see, one of two options here. You can stick with Mason Crosby and hope that he pulls his way out of this, or you can try to find a different kicker. So option number one, you stick with him. I think there's some good evidence to suggest that statistically you probably should stick with him, at least for another week. Since 2013, from that awful 2012 season and onward, he is 125 of 147, 85%, pretty solid. Uh, nine of his 22 misses in that span have been from 50 yards or more. So almost half of his misses have been from ultra-long distance. Interestingly, another five of those kicks that he's missed are from between 30 and 39 yards. So not so great there, but on balance, I think you like what Mason Crosby is, is probably doing. But say that you want to cut Mason Crosby. You're mad. I'm mad. Let's make somebody sad because we're mad. Um, who's out there? Well, it's tough. <laughs> let's, let's say that. Uh, just a couple names that pulled out of a hat. We've got Giorgio Tavecchio, who the Packers had in camp a while back after Mason Crosby had his terrible season. He's kicked around the league since then, literally and figuratively, uh, but hasn't found a home. You could bring him in if you want. You've got Daniel Carlson, the guy the Packers, or not the Packers, excuse me, the Vikings drafted in the fifth round, who missed all those kicks against the Packers and got cut subsequently. You could try him. You could say, well, there's a reason they picked him in the fifth round. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery and give him that change of scenery. But he's out there for a reason as well. And that's really the case with most of the guys who are available right now. They're either guys who are have you know kicked in one or two places but are free agents for very, very obvious reasons. Or they haven't kicked for anybody at all 
and they just haven't gotten shot yet. So your options are replace Crosby with a guy who had a day at least close to as bad as Crosby had today, or you try out a guy who hasn't kicked anywhere at all at the NFL level and just see what you can do. I don't know if there's any shame in working out a guy this week just to see what happens, but chances are you're going to be taking a chance on a guy who is for free agent because he had a pretty bad day, much like Crosby. But on the other hand, there's a 100% chance that they haven't missed four kicks in a PAT in one game. So take that. I don't know if there really is a choice here, there. Here though, I think you got to stick with Crosby for at least one more week. And if he can't get it together, well, away you go. Then you, you work out a couple kickers over the bye week and, and see what you figure out from there. Maybe that's what you do. The problem right now is that the kicker wasn't very good on Sunday. Is it a correctable problem? Sure, but I don't think there's anything anybody other than Mason Crosby can do. The last two are kind of big ones here. You've got Mason Crosby and you've got Mike McCarthy. Um, I don't think either of these guys had a terribly great game on Sunday. Rodgers is playing like he wants to get his coach fired, I think. Um, In a discussion I had with a couple people during the game today, uh, somebody brought up the idea that it doesn't look like Rodgers trust the scheme. There are all all sorts of issues. Everybody's got an opinion on Mike McCarthy's scheme right now. But I think that's a good way of encapsulating how Rodgers is playing within that scheme. He looks like he doesn't believe guys are going to be open, which is probably the best explanation for why he's not throwing the guy or throwing the ball when guys do come open. You don't see a lot of anticipation throws from Aaron Rodgers right now. And I think it's because he doesn't believe that they are going to break open. And when guys do come open, Rodgers seems to be having a bit of a struggle right now, too. He's missing open throws or he's just refusing to throw the ball. Many, many times today, going through my notes and making notes on plays as they happen, it seems like Rodgers is throwing the ball slightly behind or less frequently, slightly ahead of a receiver. Uncharacteristic missed throws. Uh, The attempted back shoulder throw to Jimmy Graham uh, was a, a good example of, of stuff like this. That ball wasn't anywhere close. Graham did not have a shot at that ball. Um, it looked like as the play was developing, if the ball had been on target, Graham probably scores a touchdown there. But Rodgers didn't get on the ball on time or accurate. And so the ball just sails out of bounds. They have to pass. Then we've got to talk about the fumbles. These are unacceptable mistakes the way that Rodgers is fumbling the ball. just It looks like a lack of awareness. It looks like he's not feeling the pocket at all. Um, Rodgers overall has a reputation for taking care of the ball very well, but his fumbles almost tear that reputation down. He's fumbled 22 times in his last 44 regular season games. That's dating back to 2015. For comparison, uh, some of the big names out there who have, who have played long enough to be in that stretch, so you're not going to get the hotshot new guys like Patrick Mahomes or whatever, 22 times in 44 games. Uh, That's more than pretty much anybody who has played a comparable amount of games. Tom Brady has fumbled 19 times in 49 games. Uh, Drew Brees, 16 times in 51 games. Rivers, 22 times in 52 games. Matt Ryan, 21 times in 52 games. Cam Newton, who runs a lot more than even Aaron Rodgers, 18 times in 50 games. And Ben Roethlisberger, 17 times in 45 games. He's not handling the ball well enough. He's just not taking good care of the ball in that aspect of the game. 
he holds the ball too long, and this is what happens. When you're trying to make plays outside of the scheme of the offense, you open yourself up to things like this. Rodgers clearly isn't in love with the way the game is being called, but he's also not doing the guy calling the plays any favors when he's doing stuff like this. He is turning the ball over, and it's making the entire offense look bad. And it's a lot easier to call for McCarthy to be fired than it is to call for your you know, $130 million quarterback to be fired. But McCarthy doesn't get off the cook, off the cook, off the hook here either. Boy, am I thinking about Jared Cook subliminally or subconsciously or something like that? Who knows? Uh, I do think about tight ends a lot. I like tight ends. Tight ends are kind of fun. Maybe that's because I played tight end way back in the day. Anyway, Aaron, uh, Aaron Jones is the is going to be the bugaboo again here for Mike McCarthy this week. How do you not give Aaron Jones more than seven carries? I realize the Packers were behind, but what did we talk about this past week? How do you get Aaron Jones involved in the offense? Well, it's not just necessarily giving him the ball. Sure, you want to get that usage rate higher, up to about 23% like we talked about on Wednesday, but Aaron Jones, like Alvin Kamara, the guy we were comparing him to, can affect the game even when he's not getting the ball. But he has to be on the field to do that. Once he rips off a couple of those 12, 15, 20-yard runs, suddenly a lot of other options are on the table for your offense. It makes your play action that much better. If you believe that school of thought, I'm not entirely convinced that running the ball well makes your play action all that much more effective. I think you just have to run the ball, period. But no matter how much or what percentage or where he's on the field, I think we can all agree that Aaron Jones has to get the ball. And it seemed like he utterly disappeared there for about two quarters. Was he even on the field? I'm interested to see what the snap counts are and and, and what ends up happening there. If there is a rift between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, I think it comes down to things like this. Just using your best players, getting your best players on the field, calling plays that Aaron Rodgers will execute on time and on schedule without breaking into schoolyard ball just for kicks, even if there's no reason to. This is the rift. It's it's the rift between how the offense is supposed to be run and how it's capable of being run and how Aaron Rodgers is running it. If Aaron Rodgers isn't running the offense, how the offense is supposed to be run, that's that's a rift. That's a a disagreement, a, a, a difference between where the offense is in the mind of the play caller and where it is in the mind of the guy who's who's actually executing the plays. There's a, a gap there, and they have to figure out how to fill that back, fill that gap. These are correctable issues. Aaron Rodgers can play better. Aaron Rodgers can execute better. Mike McCarthy can do a better job of calling plays that Aaron Rodgers is going to execute, but they've got to get it figured out quickly because the Rams are coming, the Patriots are coming, these teams that are going to do a lot worse than 31-23 to are coming. I mean, if the Packers played the way they did today against the Rams, boy, if St. Louis keeps it under 50, I would be surprised. I mean, good luck. You're not going to, you're just not going to slow down that team or be able to keep up with them playing like this. Both Rodgers and McCarthy have to get this figured out. Random thoughts and observations, then we'll let you go for today. We'll uh, we'll regroup and, and think about what we have to do to get the Packers back on track here. Just some random thoughts. Um, Tom Brenneman is very bad. I do not like Tom Brenneman. He's probably my least favorite play-by-play announcer. Um, case in point, there were multiple examples throughout the game, but at the end, the Packers are doing whatever they can to try to make it respectable, right? They're down to two scores, 
it's a two-possession game, however you want to say it. The Packers start with the ball on their own two-yard line after a great punt by the Lions. There's like a minute left. Equinemius St. Brown gets a big catch and run, and the Packers get down within field goal range. And out comes Mason Crosby. The Packers are trailing by 11 points, and Crosby's going to kick a field goal. We know why this is. There's a, there's a good reason for this, but Tom Brenneman does not. He thinks Mason Crosby is getting getting some charity from Mike McCarthy. He thinks Mike McCarthy is making an all-time coaching move or a, just a, a next-level coaching move. I forget the exact terminology he used, but he thinks that he's just trying to build Mason Crosby's confidence. No, he's not. He's trying to get 11 points as quick as the Packers possibly can. The touchdown is the hard one. When you've got to get 11 points, 10 points, whatever, quickly, the touchdown is the hard one to get. And it makes sense to try to get the field goal as quickly as you can once you get into field goal range because you've still got to kick the onside kick, recover the onside kick, then get into the end zone. You might as well get those three points and then worry about getting the touchdown. But no. He's just trying to do some things to make Mason Crosby feel nice. This is not a, a game about feeling nice or, or whatever. I'm sure Mason Crosby or I'm sure Mike McCarthy does want Mason Crosby to feel good about himself, but that's not what he was trying to do there. He was trying to help the Packers win the game or get back into the game, whatever. Then I had this thought. I wondered this during the game. Sometimes it sounds, sometimes Tom Brenneman sounds a lot like Joe Buck. The way that he talks, the way that he kind of it's almost old-timey announcer stuff. You can tell he's putting on the announcer voice a little bit, um, but they're they're similar from a vocal perspective in that in that respect. So I've I've wondered: Do people hate Joe Buck because of Tom Brenneman? Do people get Joe Buck mixed up with Tom Brenneman? I thought about this independently of something that happened late in the game, but then late in the game, what do you know? My mother-in-law is over at the house helping us out with some stuff around the house. We're still unpacking for moving into the new place. Um, she's working on some stuff around the house, but you know she runs out of stuff to do late in the game. She sits down to watch the game and stuff like this. And independently of what I'm saying, which is nothing during the game, um, she says, is this that one announcer guy who does all the games all the time? It seems like he's everywhere. Like I see him doing games and like baseball games sometimes. Is this that guy? And I said, no, it's not. It's a, it's actually a guy named Tom Brenneman, blah, 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 blah. But it was just odd that she came up with that idea right at that time when I was thinking about that, wondering, you know, are people hating Joe Buck because they don't actually know who Joe Buck is and they think Tom Brenneman is Joe Buck. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely insane. Bad football games sometimes drive me a little bit insane. Next thought. <laughs> that was a long aside. Next thought. It would have been nice to have the guys who are on the injury report who ended up not playing in this game out on the field today for sure, but I'm not sure how they would have affected the game. And I'm not sure any of the guys who didn't play today would have made a a big enough difference to really affect the outcome of this game. So Randall Cobb's out. I'm not sure he he changes the game a whole lot. Same with Geronimo Allison. Jair Alexander, maybe, but the defense wasn't really the problem today. The defense got put in a bunch of bad positions by the Packers offense. Same with Jermaine Whitehead. Uh, it would have been great to have them out there, but I'm not sure they changed the outcome of the game. So as much as it would have been great to have those guys, do they affect the outcome of the game? I'm not sure. Rookie receivers. Uh, we didn't see a lot of Jamon Moore. Um, I guess that's not a huge surprise given how they've used him to date and how he played in the preseason. So I think he's number three of the three receivers right now. But MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scandling, 
is definitely number one. I think he can play. And he didn't make the same mistake twice in the game after ending up out of bounds on that first out route that he ran where he didn't get both both feet in. He had a couple similar opportunities later in the game and he got both feet in both times. Plus, he can really run. He's super fast and that's always fun to have on the field. Equinemius St. Brown, I think he can do some nice things when he gets the ball in his hands and he seems to have a good understanding of where he needs to be on the field and, and how he needs to use his route running to get open and things like that. But he also, also almost sometimes just looks like a poor man's Jake Kumaro. He's Experience matters at a position like receiver, and I think Kumaro looks a little bit more polished than a lot of these rookies just because he's been around longer and he's played against NFL defenses for longer. Practice matters, and he's had a lot more practice time than these three rookie receivers. I'm not sure that means he's going to be better than either Valdez Scantling or St. Brown a year from now or five games from now even, but I think that you know, there's there's a chance that he's better than them right now, and that's why. Um, but I think both St. Brown and Valdez Scantling can play in the future. Um, can they play right now? I'm a little bit more mixed on that. I think Valdez Scantling is a lot closer to being a regular contributor than St. Brown. Uh, we're in pink season right now. Don't know if you noticed that during the game. There's a lot of a crucial catch merchandise on the sideline, but less on the field, less pink on the field. It got a little bit obnoxious in the past and I'm glad they kind of toned it down a little bit, especially given what we know about what actually happens with the money that the NFL raises from a crucial catch and all of their cancer-related stuff. Spoiler alert, most of it actually just goes to the NFL. Not super great, um, but we're seeing less pink on the field. Great initiative, um, a little bit visually annoying, um, and I'm not sure how much good it actually does for people who are dealing with stuff like this. Finally, finally. Um, had an off-air conversation with somebody about this a couple weeks ago, uh, but we got to get face mask rules straightened out in the NFL. This is, this is the sneaky one that I think is affecting how the game is being played um, for the worse. The Packers had a play this afternoon that kind of epitomizes the issues with the face mask and its sort of counterpart, illegal hands to the face. So Josh Jackson gets called for a face mask. Indisputable. Definitely had his hands all over Golden Tate's face mask as he was making a tackle. But he put his hands on quickly, twisted it, whatever, as he was making a tackle, and then let go. But as he was doing that, Golden Tate also put his hand on Josh Jackson's face mask and pushed his head to the side. That doesn't seem quite fair to the offense, and this has been an issue for some time. Um... We saw it last week in a couple different plays. Aaron Jones nearly ended up getting his arm broken on a stiff arm that kind of went south for him, but that started with his hand all over the defender's face mask. Um, And then that uh, Pittsburgh-Tampa play a couple weeks ago, I think it was against Tampa, um, or I think it was the Buccaneers. I'm not really sure. That's not really the point of the play. Uh, But a Buccaneers guy gets absolutely trucked uh, when his – face gets in the way of an opposing tight end's hand on a stiff arm. Um, When is it illegal hands to the face and when is it just a stiff arm? I think you should probably be trying to get all contact to the face mask and head out of the game as readily as you can. If it's going to be a a penalty for putting your hands on a guy's face incidentally on a, a passing play and you're getting a first down and five yards for it, it probably shouldn't be fair game for offensive players to stick their hands on a guy's face mask too. Just a, just an annoying thing for me there. 
Maybe it's not a big issue. I don't know. What happens next? Well, we've got the 49ers next week on Monday Night Football. This is going to be the first time a national audience will see the Packers since week one. And boy, has a lot changed for the Packers since then. Um, Well, for both teams, really. The 49ers are really banged up. Jimmy Garoppolo is done for the season, among other players who are seriously hurting right now for San Francisco. For the Packers, this is pretty close to a must win. That gets you to the bye week at 3-2-1. and 2-3-1 looks pretty bad, especially with the Rams and Patriots coming up after that. I'm interested to see how the Packers handle this trip to, to San Francisco, and if they can't get a win this week, we could be in for a long second half of the season here. Going to be bad if the Packers can't win this week. I'm excited to see what happens, though, and I hope you are too. I hope you're having fun with us here at Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. We're excited to bring you all sorts of good stuff and uh, continue to do so throughout the remainder of the season. Getting deep into the season already here, folks. Uh, Five games in. Uh, Hope you're enjoying those precious Sundays because there's only 11 more guaranteed to us between now and the long, cold, dark offseason. Enjoy it. Have fun on your Sundays. Thank you very much for listening and stopping by. We will see you on Wednesday with another episode of Blue 58. Blue 58!